Listeners, I know that you sometimes feel like your home is bursting with the boundless energy of your boys. Mine has been for a very long time. We want to tell you about Home Threads, where style meets the wild adventures of raising boys. At HomeThreads.com, you can find a collection of uh, furniture and home accessories designed to meet the needs of your growing boy family. They have everything from durable bunk beds to upscale gaming tables. You can turn your home into an attractive, durable playground, believe it or not. Uh, Janet and I both love their baking dishes. Solid, beautiful, functional. Anything you need for your home, you can likely find on homethreads.com, and we have a discount code for you. Go to homethreads.com slash onboys. You can get a code for 15% off your first order, because every leap, laugh, and loud moment deserves a space that embraces the chaos with style. Home Threads, love where you live. What kind of health and sex education are your boys receiving in school? Chances are it's less than ideal. Stay tuned. We're talking with an expert today. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thank you for being our listeners. of health and sex education are your boys getting in school? Odds are it's less than ideal. Research shows that only half of young people in the United States are getting sex education that meets minimum standards. In fact, your kids may be getting less health and sex education than you did. Joining us today to talk about health education, sex education, and how to help boys thrive is Christopher Pepper, a health educator, speaker, and writer. Christopher currently teaches in the San Francisco Unified School District, and he is working on a book called Talk to Your Boys, 27 Crucial Conversations Parents Need to Have with Boys Today and How to Start Having Them. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. So tell us, what is the current state of health education in the United States? Give us the big picture right now. Health education is one of the subjects that's really different from place to place, that's handled really differently from place to place. If you were to travel around and, and pop into algebra classes in Tennessee and algebra classes in New York and then go to Alaska or go to Nebraska, they're pretty much taught the same way or very similarly. Mm -hmm. um, health education is different in that from place to place, especially from state to state, but even from one school district to the next, What's covered is pretty different and whether health ed, some places don't have health education classes at all. Some have pretty extensive health education classes and there's a lot in between. Then how that subject is approached in the places that do have health courses or teach health lessons 
how each subject is taught is handled very differently from place to place, it is pretty inconsistent. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. And I do want to just give a shout out to our global listeners, because we have people listening from all over the world. And I, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but I'm thinking that here in the US, we're a little bit behind in our health and sex education. And as you said, I mean, I think California is pretty progressive where you are, but you know, skip over to Florida. Florida, and that's a whole different story. So how do parents gauge what is happening, not only in their state that might be more able to tell just, you know, red state, blue state, but how do parents tell what's happening in their son's own school? I think it is good for adults to ask, how is the school handling issues? And I would start with the issues that are coming up in your local community. So ideally, schools are responsive to what's going on. So for example, with vaping, 10 years ago, vaping was something that was not really a, a present issue in schools. And then it really exploded around 2016, 2017. Moving forward from there, became more and more of an issue on school campuses. And um, I think that's a place where it's appropriate for parents to say to the school, this is something I'm noticing. I'm noticing students vaping outside of school. Um, my child has talked about vaping as an issue among their peers. How are you addressing this? The school should be able to answer and have a, a plan for how they're talking about that. It's a challenge for schools if they don't have a place for health lessons to fit, if, if they mm. don't have a health class, if they don't have a health teacher who's trained in how to incorporate new material and new social issues into their classes, um, it's really tough to, to figure out where do you address that and how do you get messages out universally. So that's why I really encourage just having that, that structure of a health class, ideally in, in middle school and high school, it's a standalone class, just like mm -hmm. history or physical education or um, science, that it's a class that's on students' Um, roster that it's on their report card and that those teachers have training and get continual support and revamping and keeping things up to date with what's going on in the world right now. I'm going to guess that that is more the atypical than the typical. And I'm just going to share my experience from, you know, the Midwest, small town USA. I know that here and probably in a lot of other places, a lot of times health just kind of gets tossed in and it's something like for the PE teacher to cover or they might do a unit on it in biology class. And just based on, you know, the bits that my kids have brought home and shared. And my perspective is a bit broader than, than some parents because my background is in healthcare. I was a nurse before I was a writer. I still do a lot of health writing. I'm kind of up to date on health stuff. And I do this podcast. So when my kids are coming home, sharing information about HIV and AIDS, very much through what's very, like the 1980s lens in the 2000s yet, that's concerning to me, but I don't know what to do about that. That is a common story um, that often health education is taught in a way that to me feels a little bit disrespectful, to be honest, uh, that it's shoved in as an extra on the side of science class or PE class um, and often given to teachers without a lot of training and who may not really be interested in talking right? about these issues or may be personally uncomfortable. I mean, to teach about HIV requires talking about sexual activity. It requires talking about disease transmission, requires talking about prevention methods like condoms. All of that goes a lot better if you have a teacher who's comfortable saying those words in front of a class of students. If, yeah. 
You have to be willing to field the sometimes challenging questions or embarrassing questions from students and be able to answer them um, or not become too embarrassed yourself and just hearing their questions. And those are all challenging things and not every teacher is up for that. And I think we should have teachers in place who say, oh yeah, I'm up for those questions. This is what I wanna do. I uh, feel really passionate about this subject. Those are the teachers that I'd love to see teaching health classes. How did this become a passion for you? You are one of those teachers. And I feel like you're a bit of a rare breed. Well, I grew up in Wisconsin um, and went to middle school and high school. I remember having health class in my small town high school. And it was right at the time where HIV was was the issue. We had this new new disease that was very, like, was in the news a lot. It, people were dying from it. And they had just, they had figured out how it was transmitted. And then there was this public health issue of how do we communicate this to people um, effectively. So there was um, a big push toward more sex education in schools, but it was really grounded in this message of this is important to do because you could die. So it was that was exactly <laughs> the messaging. It was uh, do this or you'll die. And that was, I mean, I was shocked when in the early 2000s, not even the early mid uh, like 2010s, I've got kids in middle school going through and that's basically what they're telling me. And I'm like, well, it's not entirely the case anymore. There's meds, there's prep there, you know, um, uh, it's preventative meds that people can take. And I just feel like partly from my own experience, like I know that we want our children to be aware of the risks, but I would like them to know more about sex than don't do it because you might die. Yes, I agree. Um, so that was my experience in school. I had a person I had a personal friend when I was in high school who told me about being raped. A girl who was a teenager who shared her experience with me and it kind of hit at a time where it really touched me and um where I was about to go to college and I kind of made a pledge to myself when I go to college, this is something that I'm gonna kind of invest some time in and and I followed through on that when I went to I went to the University of Missouri and I studied journalism and volunteered for my whole time there in the the rape education office uh, at the school and started doing a lot of presentations as part of their peer education program Mm -hmm. um, to classrooms and residential halls because there weren't a lot of men when they'd get a call from a fraternity. I would often be one of the people they'd send out to talk to frat boys about (laughs) uh, sexual assault prevention. So I had a taste of what it's like to do education around issues around sexuality and and gender and relationships. And I then graduated from college. I've I've been working in journalism, expected to have a career in magazines and newspapers, but that industry changed tremendously. And over time, I worked on online for a while as a health editor for online magazines. And then I had been doing volunteer work with teenagers on sexual health issues and said, oh, this is the thing that really, really interests me. And I kind of know from my journalism skills how to keep up with issues and understand new health issues as they're coming in. Instead of just writing for adults, maybe I, what if I'm presenting this to young people and I looked into being a health teacher and it's been a, a really good fit for me. So that was over 20 years ago. <laughs> wow. And voila, here you are. You coordinate in California, in San Francisco, young men's health groups. And I mean, if we could just have this everywhere, right, it would just be amazing that there would be a place where boys and young men can gather and talk. Jen and I have talked about that a lot. I'm curious, you said you've been doing that for over a decade. I'm curious how the questions have changed and what Mm. questions are 
the leading questions now. Our Young Men's Health Groups is a it's a project that I'm really proud of. That really it did come out of HIV prevention work as a way to um, reach young men who might be at high risk for HIV while they're still teenagers before they've had a lot of relationships or sexual encounters. It was designed to mostly talk about sexual health and relationships. What we found is that these groups are advertised as, in middle schools, we call them boys groups. and In high schools, we usually call them young men's health groups. And the approach is through someone who's at the school. We try to look for a charismatic social worker or community health outreach worker who's housed at the school, who has some relationships with the students already. So so, important. And ideally that person is a man, not always, but um, as much as possible, we like to have male facilitators or a pair of um, facilitators for at least one of those people is is a man. The outreach is, hey, do you want to come to a group um, where we talk about what it's like to be a boy today and navigating relationships and um, just talk about some of the issues around masculinity. And we'll have snacks or pizza and um very important (laughs) you get to know some more people and um sometimes we are able to provide a financial incentive which is usually pretty small it's like come and we'll give you five dollars um but enough to get somebody in the door most of the time snacks and pizza are plenty (laughs) yes (laughs) um but small incentives like that and what we found i think is that sexual health topics come up and they're they're important to talk about That's definitely part of the curriculum, but there's a real hunger among boys to just talk about the issues in their lives. So somebody might have a girlfriend and they're trying to figure out how to think about a a sticky situation that comes up in their their relationship. She sent this text message. I don't totally understand what she means. Mm -hmm. Um, Those kind of situations. Teenage boys are figuring out their attitudes around gender and sexuality. So um, just having a place to talk about the celebrity who just came out and said they were non-binary. Well, what does that mean? How do I think about that? Or transgender issues, something might come up. People sometimes need a place to to figure out just the basics of what is what does this terminology mean that people are using? And then I think a place where that they can talk about things and and make some mistakes or make some attempts at figuring things out and not be have some gentle guidance from adult leaders um, without being kind of clamped down on um, or reprimanded for saying the wrong thing when they're they're trying to figure things out. Let's Um, talk about that piece, because I think it's so important. You know, all of us, when we are trying to understand something, a new concept or a new idea, we're awkward thinking about it and talking about it. Like, I don't, I was just telling Janet before we popped on and you'll get this because you're a journalist too. Like I just worked on an article where I talked with a bunch of experts who've been studying something for years. Like, I don't know the words that they, they use necessarily. So my attempts at communicating are going to be very amateur in comparison. Right now, our kids are growing up in the same culture we are. Like they know saying the wrong thing can get you canceled. And yet we need places where people can muddle through conversations without having to worry, like, am I using the right language? So how do you help boys have a place to do that? Like you said, while also guiding gently, because we don't want uh, anybody to be deliberately harmful to somebody else. I think Starting from a place of curiosity, framing the approach from a place of curiosity. Hmm. I saw you watching that Andrew Tate video. What do you like about him? What do you think about, you know, you you just told this joke. Why is that funny? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I heard you say this thing. um, It didn't land quite right with me. I'm curious what you meant. And um, 
letting them talk a little bit and then and then maybe saying i'm going to tell you why i think maybe that's not the right way to to express that because i i think it might hurt people's feelings or um might get you in trouble in in a different situation so are you open to having hearing a little bit about that but just getting a little bit of buy-in hearing their voices being curious i think those are all useful steps in keeping because you want to keep the audience your your audience is basically this boy or this group of boys and you want to keep them open coming at someone with criticism even if they've said something offensive um or that you're you know is not something that sits right with you you can still communicate that message and say you can get across that you that's not cool with you but it's really just finessing the approach so that the audience can actually hear you and is open to maybe reconsidering how they how they do things or how they're thinking about things. And at the same time, you are modeling healthy communication, you know, how to hear somebody and take in what they're saying and then respectfully express your thoughts. That's yes. powerful. It's a really different way of communicating than what you sometimes see online where people just see someone's opinion and tell them how much they hate them and, and then throw a bunch of insults. It's a way of trying to stay open and recognizing like, you might be in a room with people who have differences of opinion. That's okay. You can still be friends. You can talk about things Mm -hmm. and you may not all come to the same conclusion, but you want to practice empathy and critical thinking and care. Do you think that is part of what boys enjoy about this group? And the reason why I ask that is for a lot of us, we're living, you know, in, in the internet age. So if there's something I don't understand and I want to know more about, I go online. And I can go online and I can find people talking about absolutely anything. And as soon as you say, you know, three or five words, somebody's going to jump on you and say, you're wrong. I think boys have a lot of, they're really interested in relationships and have a lot of capacity and interest in talking about emotions and relationships. They're often, adults don't, I think that maybe because of stereotypes around gender or because of the way school is set up, sometimes those opportunities to talk about those things in a deep and rich way aren't presented as often as I'd like. And I think boys are are really hungry for those kind of conversations and interested in exploring their values and their, their ideas. It's a place where you can go beyond just talking about, you can talk about sports and you can talk about video games, but you can also go a little bit further and actually talk about feelings and Mm -hmm. who you care about and how you're feeling about what's going on in in the world. Um, And I think what, the transformational thing that happens in a in a well-run successful boys group is that the boys start supporting each other Mm -hmm. so when somebody comes in and says i'm just struggling i've been feeling depressed and i can't get out of bed a lot of times and getting to school is really hard you see boys then step in and it's not the leader saying you can do this it's more the other boys saying i'm here for you 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 know Mm -hmm. checking in on you how are you feeling today they become a support network for each other and it's just really sweet. Listeners, you can't see us, but Jen and I are just nodding our heads. Yes. <laughs> up and down, up and down. Yes, yes, yes. To everything you're saying, Christopher. It's so important for our boys to have that safe space. And I think that, you know, it's it's just challenging, as you said, like, where do we plug this into their busy day? But it's a good reminder for parents to 
slow down, take the time, make the space and, you know, clear the decks sometimes of just, you know, this weekend, we're just going to unplug and have a day or an afternoon. And the conversations Jen and I have often talked about, it's the 2002 minute conversations. I think moms especially tend to want to go really deep, really fast. And that doesn't always happen for our boys. So that place, Christopher, of just staying curious, staying open, but creating the space for those conversations to happen. And, you know, pizza and snacks is also good to have close by. Brownies, cookies, yeah. chips, these, these all work. These all work. <laughs> Talkies, these all work. I taught her about Takis, Christopher. She didn't know. And now she's so proud of herself. No. <laughs> now I see him in the store and I think of you, Jen. <laughs> So you have this book that you're working on and uh, among the many other things that you're doing. And and I'm so curious because 27 conversations, that's an interesting number. What are maybe some of those conversations that might not be at the top of our priority Mm. list? Questions you might have not thought to ask yet after these messages from our sponsors. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing. And your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. The number may change. The book is in progress. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm happy to be co-writing this book with Joanna Schroeder, who's a writer from Los Angeles. I really um, learned about her because she was writing and speaking about recruiting online um, and how sometimes boys end up in extremist spaces around race or around gender, not through a direct route of the KKK showing up and saying, do you want to join our group or something like mm-hmm. that? And not or- because the boys are like, how to join KKK. That's not it. <laughs> yes, it's a um, subtle path toward radicalization that happens often through memes and jokes. And mm-hmm. YouTube tends to, uh, sometimes their algorithm leads people to things that are just a little bit more extreme than the last thing you watch so that you keep watching. 
Mm -hmm. Um, That's an expertise that Joanna, my co-author has. And so that'll definitely be part of part of this book. The idea of the book overall is to give families and uh, parents and caregivers tips for how to have conversations about things that are challenging. And I know from, from my own life, the things that people call me when they, they say, oh my gosh, this, you know, my, I walked in and my kid was watching porn. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I handle this? Um, they're looking for specific tips about how to talk about something that's challenging. So thinking about things like, you know, online extremism and porn, but also com- competitive sports and oh, yeah. uh, how to talk about friendships, how to talk about relationships and, you know, things like, um, I think sometimes boys need specific tips on like how to ask someone out politely um, and how to take no for an answer if if the answer is no and how to deal with a breakup. Um, so those kind of things that might be hard to figure out how to talk about. The idea is that this is a book you could have on your shelf and pick up and say, oh, here's some specific, some specific words I could say. Yeah. Um, So Christopher, I mean, this is all well and good because we want to be able to have these conversations with our boys. I'm a family coach and I work with a lot of parents who their boys just won't talk to them. They get the one word answer or the eye roll or they won't uh, put the phone down to have the conversation. What, What would you say to those parents who are feeling so frustrated and helpless? I mean, I've definitely had the experience of texting my I have a son who's 20 now um and sometimes I text him things that I really want him to know or pay attention to so when there was an incident of sexual harassment in the news that I was paying attention to I was just like I just want to be really clear about this that it's never okay to do this and this and this um and I wrote it in a text message and um so that's one way if a kid's on their phone all the time I'm just curious I'm curious because I have done similar things and I know that like they do have their phones on them all the time. So you may not get a response sometimes. I'm wondering if your son responded because I know sometimes I will send a text knowing they're going to see it, whether or not they choose to circle back and engage with me on that topic. He did. He did get back to okay. me. Okay. <laughs> He's um, like, dad. That's one way I think the classic tip of like looking for situations where you're not necessarily having a one-on-one conversation, but or having a face-to-face conversation, but driving in the car, going for a walk, doing something where you can be a little bit side-by-side and conversation is not necessarily the the focus of what you're doing, but you mm-hmm. can you can weave it in among other things. And then just looking for those organic opportunities when you're watching a movie or hear something on the radio and you, know, you hear a song like, oh, what do you think about the way this singer is talking about um, the woman that he's involved with, do you think that's cool? Like, or how would you feel if someone did that to you? Mm-hmm. Um, there's some opportunities for those kind of conversations that might open up a little bit, but it is challenging. And sometimes the parent is not the right, uh, not the messenger that, that can get through. So um, with that kind of kid, I might look for, are there other caring adults in their, in their world um, that you could connect with? So that mm-hmm. might be a, a coach, that might be mm-hmm. a mentor, a teacher, um, and you may pull them aside and say, you know, I've got this, my my son is not listening very well to me, but I know he really looks up to you, and I'm just trying to uh, get across this particular message because he's saying some things that, that are bugging me. 
Um, but I think he might hear it better from you. Are you willing to talk to him about that kind of stuff? I think that's so important. And we might kind of forget that we do actually, that there are resources in your son's world. There are people and we forget that we can ask. I think, you know, as an, as a caring adult, I would be honored if someone came to me and said, Hey, would you talk to my kid about this? That would feel really connected. So I think encouraging parents not to feel shy about reaching out and expressing, Hey, I've, this is a problem in our home right now and I need help. Yeah. And there is something about that uh, tween, early teen, mid, late teenage, <laughs> where like they are looking to broaden their circles of influence. And there are things that if, if a coach says, or, you know, uh, an academic advisor, like choir director, you know, whatever, somebody important in their life, if they say it, they can say the same exact thing that you have been trying to say for six months. They're going to take it differently coming from a different human. Yeah, I would also say be persistent. Like teenagers, mm. teenagers change rapidly and often respond to messages differently when they hear them six months later yes. than when they heard them the last time. <laughs> I'm really curious. So we talked about your boys group. And, you know, how and why it's good for boys to have this this space to fumble through what they need to say and, and think out loud and, and have that. But you also teach, you know, co-ed health education classes where many of these same topics come up. How do you manage those conversations, making it a safe space? Boys and girls and non-binary students are all coming with their own perspectives, especially at these ages. Girls are often, you know... Uh, intellectually and maturity wise, a little bit ahead of the boys. So how do you manage all of that in a classroom to keep these discussions and explorations respectful and helpful? Part of that comes with setting up the class. Um, so the messages that the the teacher brings, and then um, it's nice when a class and the teacher can kind of co-create rules yeah. or guidelines for how that space is going to work, but there are usually things around everyone feeling welcome in the space. And we have to follow the guidelines around things like sexual harassment, slurs. Those are usually school-wide expectations to not insult people using racist words or sexist words or homophobic slurs, things like that. So there's some things that you just say, that's a school rule and you can't use that kind of language in here. Mm -hmm. it's just, we want everyone to feel included. And then it's a it's a finesse after that um, where the teacher is really making a judgment call in that moment of this one kid seems to be getting into it with another kid. Do I stop the whole class and and make a, a show of this, which sometimes is effective because it lets people know you're serious. Right. And that something was totally unacceptable. Um, it is sometimes more effective to say, can I talk to you over here for a second? Um, and go out in the hall or go on the side of the room and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and try to do a little emotional or relationship connection with that student in particular um, to say, I know you probably didn't mean to hurt anyone's feelings, but this, I just heard you say this and that might involve an apology to the other student. Um, that's all just teaching is complicated in that way that you have to decide those things yeah. in the moment. <laughs> right, um, Janet? <laughs> oh, yeah. If it's an overall thing, if it's happening with a lot of students, Sometimes you have the whole class meet together and say, this is a problem that I'm I'm seeing in our classroom, in our classroom culture, that 
-hmm. people in here are using a lot of words that are hurtful to others are getting in the way of people learning and i want to see if we can solve this together um so we came up with some guidelines at the beginning of the year i want to go back and look at those and see if we need to add anything new or reinforce those as a class and you're really trying to build a culture in that classroom where students are a little more cognitive of what's going on of their words um, and how they might affect other people. Mm -hmm. It's getting them ready for living in the world where those are, that's part of what you have to attend to um, mm -hmm. is you're working around when you get a job and you're working around other people, there are guidelines and expectations for how you treat other people and how, and that you're able to get along with people who are not exactly the same as you and might have different ways of living or different beliefs than you and you still have to be able to talk to them and work alongside them and, and get along so that you can get through your day. Made me think about our conversation with teacher Tom, Janet. You know, teacher Tom is a, is a preschool teacher, was a preschool teacher, and he talked about, uh, you know, roughhousing with kids and how he would, the kids would come up with their rules basically of engagement. And then when things go a little awry, you talk about it with the kids. And obviously there's differences between dealing with preschoolers and dealing with teenagers. And yet the principles are very, very, very similar. And it's great modeling. And I was an educator in elementary school. And I mean, I just know that the teachers have so much on their plate. And of course, they want to do all this and take all the time for the conversations. And, and it's what you said earlier about there's some people who are really adept at this. There's some teachers who are more adept at just at just teaching algebra. So it's, you know, it's finding those people and you do, you do professional development. So is there a way that you have that kind of um, calls out those, those kinds of teachers that are more inclined to having these kinds of conversations? I think a lot of it is, is really skills practice. Um, so I don't think anybody's born knowing how to interrupt a homophobic slurs that are being yelled across the back of the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, I think intervening in that situation is going to be a challenging and nobody gets into teaching saying, that's what I want to do. It's just, right. it's, 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 a, it's a part, an important part of the job, but it's not the reason that you're teaching and it's kind of getting in the way of learning in the classroom. It's also important to address. So one yeah. of the, those in particular words around sexuality and um, people being teased about being gay or things like that have have happened for a long time it definitely is a common part of people's school experience and when a teacher or adults hear those and don't say anything that sends a message to the students in the classroom about what's mm -hmm. acceptable yeah um, what's important to pay attention to part of the training around that is these are common slurs that people hear in our schools and we want to help you get better at interrupting that situation so that's so you actually practice I love that and develop skills I don't think it's I think those are skills that can be learned um, mm -hmm. and that people get better at it with time but part of it is just raising it to a an awareness of like this is something that we actually expect you to to intervene with in the same way mm -hmm. that you would intervene if someone was yelling racist slurs mm -hmm. in, a, in a classroom or a school situation that those should be addressed and dealt with and treated mm -hmm. treated seriously quick messages from our sponsors i like cute clothes i like having stylish outfits and i hate shopping armoire makes getting dressed easier 
armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Did you know that we spend approximately one third of our lives in bed? We've talked before about how important sleep is to our overall health and well being and our boys' overall health and well being. And I have learned that my sheets and bedding can make all the difference. I need breathable sheets. I need soft sheets. I need comfortable sheets. But it can be hard to find high quality linens from sources that you trust. And that's why I am so excited to tell you about American Blossom Linens. Their bedding is made in America from 100% American cotton. It's sustainable. It's ethical. It's environmentally friendly and their sheets get more soft and more comfortable with each washing. Give them a try. Go to AmericanBlossomLinens.com. Use our coupon code ONBOYS. You'll save 20% and you will start getting a better night's sleep. AmericanBlossomLinens.com. I'm curious. This is coming up for me. So when I was in university, no one ever talked about how boys learn differently than girls, how boys will be in the classroom, which is part of the reason why I do what I do 25 years later. And you may not be able to answer this question, but do you have any sense of, is teacher training addressing some of these issues in a current kind of way, how to talk, how to handle? Is that happening at the train at the teacher training level? I have not seen much of that. I've mostly focused on high school, some some middle school. So if that kind of training is happening at all, it may be at elementary school level more. But, or not. <laughs> but it may not be. One of the areas where I'd like to see our society move a little bit is to have more men go into teaching and therapy and counseling and Bravo. social work. Almost in the same way that we've had a push, which I think is is super important to have girls go into STEM education and STEM careers, um, where they're focusing on science and engineering and math and technology, that's important. And we should have more balance in who's in those kind of careers. I would love to see more gender balance in um, who's going into kind of caring careers. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, please. Let's Uh, just create a revolution here, Christopher. Would that we could, but having these conversations is 
super important. But I, I have not seen a lot. Of, I think that might help having more men in the classroom. Yes. May help with developing a little more empathy for boys who are struggling and um, feel behind their peers. But it is a pretty common experience for boys to, they're having trouble keeping up. Given the current state of the world, the current state of education and health education in so many schools. Are there resources that we can point parents towards to maybe round out what their kids are learning or to advocate for better health education for boys and girls? Uh, we have had some states who have made good progress in changing their expectations around health education. So actually, all of the states on the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, and California, have started requiring comprehensive sexuality education in schools. Their guidelines are open and available for people to look at. Okay. Um, so if parents in another state want to say, oh, I heard there's some states that have changed things recently and have new expectations about what's covered, looking at what's been successfully passed in some of those states, I think is a good a good model. And there is a place for advocacy. Things can change. Often grounding those in what are in the real life experiences of youth right now and what's important um, can be a place to say, oh, we need to be teaching more about this substance that, you know, when you're talking about substance use, I mean, right now it's fentanyl and vaping are mm -hmm. issues that we didn't have to deal with that much in the past, but now are right. um, top of mind for a lot of a lot of adults. The CDC has a great program called CDC Dash, which is the Divis Division of Adolescent and School Health, um, and they have a tool with a funny name. It's called the HeCat, but it's a health education curriculum analysis tool, and it's free to use. And that's a, actually a great tool to say, here's what the CDC and based on lots of research says should be happening for health education and how health education should be handled. How is our local community or our state yeah. doing in comparison? And then, as you said, like a lot of this education, even if it's being taught in school, it, families should be emphasizing things at home. Absolutely. Right Absolutely. So looking mm -hmm. at like amaze.org has these cute animated videos about puberty and gender and issues around sexual health that are easy to look at for families. And they actually have a program to train parents to help them get more comfortable being an askable parent is what they call mm -hmm. it. So those are free videos that I like a lot. I just worked on a website called the new which is mm. about fentanyl, just with some guiding questions um, to help parents and caregivers get more comfortable knowing how to how do you talk about substance use with fentanyl in the mix especially yeah. a lot of uh, issues with young people are around fake prescription pills it's a new you know it's something that i had to learn about before being able to to produce material i about. just realized that that's kind of today's equivalent of what we were hearing in high school about hiv right mm -hmm. like don't do this you might die Listeners, I am going to um, find these links. I will put them in the show notes to make it easy for you because these sound extremely valuable. Uh, Christopher, you have a website too. Tell us about that. And I suspect as your book is coming out, which I believe will be in 2025. So listeners, just be patient um, that there will be increasing news on that as well. MrHealthTeacher.com, where I try to pull together resources for around health education and my favorite resources for people who are actually teaching in the classroom. And I have a newsletter that comes out. It's Teen Health Today is the newsletter that is you, people can sign up for and get up to dates on, updates on what's going on with young people right now and stories from the news. Um, so that's a good way to kind of keep up on things. And keep those conversations going. 
Christopher, thank you so much for joining us today and for the work that you are doing with boys and in the world to help them. Thank you so much. It's so nice to talk to you. We hope this information is valuable. Be sure to check those show notes. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thanks for being our listeners and supporting our sponsors. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.